Hello again, Broncos country. From colorful Colorado, high up in the Rocky Mountains, I'm Jerry Murr, your football addict and lifelong Broncos fan, here with this week's edition of Rocky Mountain Thunder, your Denver Broncos podcast. Rough week for the blue and orange. I had to take a tough couple of days just to cool off, rewatch, and regroup after this one. I'll say it looked a lot worse watching it the first time. In other words, maybe it wasn't quite as bad as it looked. My concern, however, is the team does continue to look the same as it has year after year, going back to the Vance Joseph era. Death by inches, as Coach Fangio put it three years ago when he got hired here. A lot to cover here this week. Tough to organize my thoughts after this mess. Thanks in part to Fangio and his little meltdown after the game, especially on Monday when he all but accused John Harbaugh and the Ravens of not prioritizing player safety, calling them Bush League. Anyway, I'd like to talk more about that, and once again, the officiating, or lack of. Drew Locke getting his opportunity, another little piece of what this team misses without ownership, this coaching staff, week five, and hey, fans, this is one game. A lot easier to lose a game than it is to win, especially in the NFL. And especially when two of your key interior linemen are out due to injury. Not to mention all the other players that we're missing. Let's look at uh, some of those just to refresh our memory. Ronald Darby, Jerry Judy, short-term IR, won't be back for a couple more weeks. Bradley Chubb, Josie Jewell, K.J. Hamler, out for the season. Graham Glasgow, well, actually, Bradley Chubb, he may be back soon, too. But uh, Graham Glasgow, Dalton Reisner, Michael Ojemudia, Mike Boone, nine keen players, and there's more. We're only four weeks into the season. Not the way I drew up my 10-7 and seven prediction this season. Both Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke were under a lot of pressure in this game. We talked last week about how much Wink Martindale and this team likes to blitz. I told you Teddy was a blitz killer. Well, I don't really know what to tell you. We got to see what Graham Glasgow, Dalton Reisner, and K.J. Hamler really mean to this offense. While Hamler may not be producing great numbers as a wide receiver, he takes the top off. He really takes a lot of pressure off other receivers because he's down the field, safeties have to bracket him with another corner, so it just opens things up for this offense. But uh, what all losing all these other starters does to the team, but we had two young guards in there with Cush at center, talking about Lloyd Cushenberry with Natani Moody and Quinn Miners playing guard. All three of them still trying to figure out fi- figure things out. Natani Moody and Miners both big strong pushers. They look really good in the run game. Solid guys. Um, in pass pro with blitzes coming from all over the place, not so much. Hey, it's tough. To, it's a tough ask. In weak Martindale's defense, blitzes come from everywhere, and uh, being able to read that stuff and communicate those those offensive linemen, they just got a lot of work to do still. Meanwhile, Shermer, Pat Shermer, in his infinite wisdom, all but abandoned the run a part of the game that generated almost seven yards of carry this past week. Fangio jumped in and tried to defend the decision, saying that the long runs were skewing those stats. Such a bunch of BS. 
they're getting those chunks because of the personnel that they have. And in my opinion, that's how the run game is supposed to work. Chunks. You get it in chunks. You bang away and you break one from now on and again. I listen to the local radio station here all the time, the fan, and Mark Schlereth gets on there, talks about controlling the line of scrimmage. The key to winning is to control the line of scrimmage. And while I don't always see eye to eye with Schlereth on this, we agree. This line, these young interior linemen, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, they're doing that in attack mode. But when we put them on the defensive for pass protection, they struggle. Now, lots of teams struggle with pass pro. That's why you get guys like Aaron Rodgers who can get the ball out in two and a half seconds. Tom Brady, you know, these guys that can process really quick. And in Teddy Bridgewater's defense, a guy that processes really quick, gets the ball out quick. But to make matters worse, when they brought in Drew Locke after Teddy was hit in the head, the decision was made to run even less. The run game still looked productive while Locke was in there. They were only down by 10 points through the third quarter. Like I say, the game looked a lot worse than it really was. If you go back and watch it a second time, believe me, it's not easy. But if you can get through it a second time, it's not as bad as it looks. We punted 10 times. The Ravens punted 7 times. We had 12 drives. They had 13. Time of possession was 33 minutes to our 27 minutes. Here's the kicker. We only attempted 17 rushing attempts. They ran the ball 30 times. We had 106 yards. They had 102. They ran the ball twice as much as the Broncos. We all know how they got those last four yards. Or in case you don't, they got the last four to go over 100 yards with three seconds left in the game. We'll talk some more about that in a minute. Hold that thought. We're missing two out of four of our best receivers. And we're not running the ball. What the hell are we doing? No disrespect to Kendall Hinton or Deontay Spencer. They're just a step above the practice squad. Spencer, our special teams return guy. In terms of playing wide receiver, they're just just off the practice squad. Let's keep it real. I think it's safe to say that if the coaching staff had it to do over, they'd game plan this one a little bit differently. But I'm sure that gets said a lot when a team loses, right? Anyway, listen, the defense only gave up two touchdowns and 102 yards of rushing to a team known for being a run-first team. They forced Lamar Jackson to beat them in the air, and he did it. One of the best games he's had in the air. But hey, it happens. Now tied with Pittsburgh for uh, for first with 43 consecutive games over 100 yards rushing, the Baltimore Ravens prove that the running game and controlling the line of scrimmage is still alive and well in the NFL. It's how the game of football was designed way back when. This is a record that stands from 1973 to 1977. The Pittsburgh Steelers have the most consecutive games with 100 rushing yards. Now that record's been tied by the Baltimore Ravens. It'll be interesting to see if they can come back in week five and make it 44. I don't want to do a whole big thing about Fangio and his meltdown over the Ravens deciding to try to extend that consecutive streak. Some of you agree with Vic and think it's Bush League. I do not. I don't blame the Ravens for trying to get it, and I applaud them for the achievement. It means a lot to the team. It'll mean 
a ton to that, that, that offensive line. It's a very big deal. It takes three years for a team to accomplish, so good for them. Clearly, this was a big deal for Vic and his staff to try to stop the streak, and they very nearly got it done. With a better offensive call there in the last 10 seconds, maybe maybe they would have got it done. So in a sense, hats off to the Broncos for almost getting that done. My, adv- my advice to Vic going forward, let's focus on getting the W, coach. In case you missed it, Fangio made a statement Monday that he thought it was bull blank that Harbaugh went for it with three seconds left. That in 37 years in the league, he'd never seen anything like that. Well, I don't have to go back too far ago when, what's his name, uh, uh, Greg Sociano, I, I can't remember, a former Rutgers College coach, coached for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and instead of uh, letting the New York Giants, who lined up in victory formation, just kind of step on, drop on the ball. Defensively, Tampa Bay, the coach, uh, oh, his name almost came to me. Long story short, it was a really chicken bleep call, and uh, this is nothing like that. But in 37 years, he's never seen anything like that. He also said he expected it because he knows how they operate, the Baltimore Ravens. Player safety secondary. I'm sorry, you expected it? Then why the hell didn't you stop it? Sounded like crybaby whining to me and for you fans whining about it. Please stop. When asked about how he felt about what Vic said, John Harbaugh responded, I thought we were on good terms. We had a nice chat before the game, and we've known each other for a long time. Fangio... Uh, coached for John Harbaugh several years ago. But Harbaugh went on to say, I promise you I'm not going to give that insult one second thought. Good for you, coach. I don't blame you. I wouldn't either. Ultimately, I was really pissed off by Fangio and this nonsense. They've got a lot more on their plates to worry about. They need to spend more time worrying about their business and less about everyone else's. If you want to get pissed off about it and make it a big learning point or something, that's fine. Keep it in your locker room. Use it to motivate your team, your coaches, your staff. Just to stay on Fangio here for another minute, I was so mad after that game. I was ready to see Fangio and Shermer both fired. The inability for these two to make adjustments in-game or during halftime, the only way for this team to win is by never trying to play from behind. Very unrealistic. A lot of people talk about Fangio and his time management during games. This week, the timeout that he did not take in the second quarter, with a minute and 40 left, Baltimore had the ball. This is something he's done consistently here. I remember him doing it in his first game against the Tennessee Titans. I believe he thinks it somehow puts his opponent's offense under more pressure by not taking a timeout. In other words, he doesn't want to help them by taking a timeout. He doesn't seem to consider that he's buying more time for his offense. Be that as his, uh, be that as it may, his defense is still one of the best in the league. Last season, we saw him do it with a ragtag group of defenders, less than stellar list of personnel because of all the injuries. This season, he's getting a lot of production from his dis, uh, defense despite what in retrospect looks like an error in game planning this past week, I still expect great things from this defense. Moving on, 
Teddy Bridgewater suffered a concussion after what appeared to me to be a helmet-to-helmet hit from, uh, I think it's Jeff Owe, uh, linebacker, defensive line, kind of hybrid guy that the Ravens got. The hit was not called, and it sounds like that non-call was supported by the league on Monday. Consequently, this happened right after Deontay Spencer went down on what also looked like a helmet-to-helmet call that should have been made but wasn't. On the broadcast, they had uh, the official guy, Gene Steratore, come on, and he said the defenseless receiver that is hit in the head or neck area is a foul. Now, I don't know a lot about anatomy, but I do know what constitutes the head and neck, and that was definitely a head and neck hit. Anyway, once again, the officiating had questionable calls that I think are a responsible, well-respected owner goes, talks to the league about, and gets some sort of retribution, be it some wiggle room on calls in the future or whatever. I don't expect perfect officiating, but when you see the officials miss obvious calls that are plain as the nose on your face, meanwhile they're calling all these little ticky-tack bullshit calls that we see, pardon my uh, French, that's the only French I know by the way, here's the key place that we miss and probably don't even realize to what extent what Pat Boland brought to this organization. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. From the league officials, other teams, here's hoping we get a quality owner soon. With Teddy nursing his melon, my Drew Locke prediction's looking a little more realistic as he has a chance to get the start this week against the Pittsburgh Steelers, depending on whether or not Teddy recovers. Rewind back to when the Broncos stole Teddy from Carolina. When the Broncos grabbed Bridgewater, I predicted that he would win the starting job week one. Reason being, it would give Locke more time to develop, something Vic Fangio says he needs. This will take some pressure off him while he could learn watching Teddy B. Then at some point, Drew would get a chance to start and then show that he is really the best option for the Broncos. I had expected that opportunity would come closer to week eight or so to give him some more time, but frankly, not getting the first team reps for that amount of time may have proven to be more of a detriment, so maybe this is for the best. Who knows? Problem is, when he came in last week in the second half, instead of the fans and team being fired up to see what the kid could do, the place went flat. The team went flat. Mile high got quiet. It didn't look like the team was fired up to play for him, but again, As I watched the game over again, it didn't look quite as bad. Yeah, the stadium was pretty quiet. Locke had some really good throws, despite the pressure that Baltimore was bringing. At one point, he had a nice 22-yard completion to Kendall Hinton, while Oway nearly brought him to the ground. Unfortunately, that was called back because of a holding penalty by number 72. Garrett? Garrett? Starting to slip into some old habits here? Anyway, while watching live, I thought Sutton looked like he wasn't really putting any effort into his routes, and I became very critical of him not helping Locke out, but as I rewatched the game, the only time I saw Sutton giving less effort was maybe that very final play when Baltimore intercepted Locke in the end zone with three seconds left. It'd been a decent drive. They looked really good. Looked like the Broncos might get one more score. Unfortunately, that was not the case, so on to Pittsburgh. And a long list of questionables for the Denver Broncos. A new inside linebacker that the Broncos picked up 
when Josie Jewell went down. Andre Mintz, questionable. Baron Browning, questionable with a back. Draymond Jones, Shelby Harris, Pat Sertan, Dalton Reisner, Deontay Spencer, Graham Glasgow, Melvin Gordon, Teddy Bridgewater. That's uh, a long list of questionables. I think Gordon's going to be a go as well as probably Sertan, Jones, and Harris. All guys that are nursing various bumps, bruises, that kind of thing. I think they tend to get a little bit of maintenance time. It sounds like there's a good chance Reisner could be back this week, as well as Mike Boone. Jerry Judy and Ronald Darby sounds like they're doing well. I don't know if I want to say ahead of schedule, but hopefully they'll be healthy come week six, seven, or eight. We could definitely stand to get some of our key players back. Come on, fans. It's one game. Let's go beat Big Ben and the Steelers. we got to keep the Rocky Mountain Thunder going for our Broncos. Share this with your friends. Like, subscribe follow do whatever you got to do with me here on your denver broncos podcast rocky mountain thunder i'm jerry Murphy for rocky mountain sports report stay out of your comfort zone let's do it again next week